Well, good afternoon. It is May 24th, 2023, and you are watching Seattle's Eastside Real Estate Podcast, your go-to source for all things related to living, working, and playing on the East Side. It, like I said, it's Wednesday. Welcome. Please feel free to comment and share. If you're listening to a recorded version, uh, go ahead and feel free to uh, subscribe and get uh, alerted when we go live. We'd love your questions, comments um, here on YouTube or Facebook and we can answer them in real time. It's never happened on a podcast, so I'd love to see it happen. Um, if you are listening, uh, you can listen, or if you want to listen, you can subscribe to us on our podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google Podcasts, go to Spotify. We're there. You should be able to subscribe and listen uh, when we put out a new episode. So um, today we're bringing back our good friend Tucker Maxwell for a mortgage moment. But we're going to start out with our Real Talk segment. And on this segment, we're going to talk about finding your home and this is your guide to finding your home on the east side. So let's get started. When it comes to buying a house in the greater Seattle area, the east side offers a ton of great things. It's why I myself moved my family there 20 years ago. Uh, there's a neighborhood for everybody, whether you're looking for a more of a suburban feel, if you're looking for something in the city with walkable neighborhoods, if you're looking for parks, if you're looking for um, commutability uh, into Seattle, the great thing about living on the east side is you have access to world, all the world-class things that Seattle has to offer. Yes, a playoff run for a hockey team, a playoff um, run for a major league baseball team. And I think we talked about, uh, Tucker and I talked about this on previous podcasts, just having all those things um, at your fingerprint, fingertips and also enjoying um, the quality of the schools that the east side has to offer. So let's just summarize some of the major east side cities and give you a, a taste of what to expect if you're thinking about moving uh, to Seattle and considering the east side as a destination. Let's start with uh, Bellevue. I got to tell you, in my 20 plus years in, Bell, uh, in, in on the east side, I watched Seattle and Bellevue fight for dominance in, uh, in growth. And I will say this is my personal opinion, but Bellevue has outpaced Seattle in growth, although Seattle has recently in its um, um, building of the South Lake Union area, definitely the footprint that Seattle has done is outstrikes the footprint that Bellevue's done. But Bellevue has added light rail. Uh, they've got a, um, a couple of luxury towers where you can, um, you know, from, from uh, what we call Lincoln Tower, you can basically get to all the shops, all the shows, all the restaurants, everything you need. Um, there's Amazon, there's Microsoft, all in downtown Bellevue. You can hop on the light rail when it opens and get to the airport. You can get to Redmond, you can get to downtown Seattle, to Major League Baseball, football, um, hockey. All of that stuff is accessible um, right from that downtown Bellevue corridor. Um, there's also a ton of other things to do and enjoy. There are great parks, uh, including a fireworks show on the 4th of July in downtown Bellevue. So that's Bellevue. And we'll, we'll of course, break down uh, Bellevue in more detail in future podcasts. But another fantastic option is Redmond. Redmond is the tech hub of the east side. It's where Microsoft started their business. Um, you will find a thriving community with a balance of commercial and residential spaces. A strong emphasis on outdoor activities, tons of parks, including Marimore Park, where you can see concerts in the summertime. You can take your dog there in the wintertime. You can um, hop on a kayak and kayak up the Sammamish Slough all the way to Woodenville and to Lake, Lake Washington as well. 
Um, uh, Redmond is known for its um, cycle abilities, and it's got a great area called, um, well, Ames Lake, Union Hill. That's all kind of more of a rural feel with quick access to downtown Redmond. All right, moving right along, let's talk about Kirkland. Kirkland's an old town. Some of the homes in Kirkland date back to the turn of the century. We've got fantastic craftsman homes right near the water. Uh, we've got an area called West of Market, which is very refined. There are two and three and $4 million homes right on Lake Washington there. Um, downtown Kirkland has a boat launch and a park on the water where in the summertime, you're going to find people playing volleyball, um, hiking up and down a trail that goes all the way down to uh, Bellevue um, and enjoying great shops, great restaurants. Um, there are fantastic neighborhoods, both on the west side of 405 and the east side of 405 um, butting right up against uh, Redmond. So it's an awesome, awesome community in Kirkland. Uh, you also part of Kirkland is, and this is also part of Bellevue's bridal trails. So if you want equestrian property, we have it both in Bellevue and Kirkland. All right, so we're gonna move a little west. A west of Bellevue is a small town at the base of Lake Sammamish is a small-ish town and home of Costco, Issaquah. So it's really situated right up against what we call the Issaquah Alps and it's Tiger Mountain, Cougar Mountain, uh, and Squawk Mountain, all right there. So if you like a kind of a um, wooded neighborhood, um, Issaquah has a lot to offer. Also, we've got a um, more modern carbon uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Carbon sensitive, like low carbon footprint neighborhoods like Talis and uh, the Issaquah Highlands, which offer some modern amenities with a dense, dense population. So they kind of keep people a little bit closer together, both on, in Talis and um, and the Issaquah Highlands. But if you like mountain biking, it's a great place. You can from the Issaquah Highlands, from Squawk Mountain, from Cougar Mountain, all areas in Issaquah, you can hop on a trail and take days and well some people have taken days but there was a story about that i won't recount that <laughs> some guy had an affair and he said i was lost on cougar mountain so there's you can look that story up all right lastly we're going to talk about sammamish now sammamish is near and dear to my heart i spent 20 years raising my family there um, it's a fantastic bedroom community there isn't a sense of downtown although it's slowly being built with the sammamish commons beautiful parks one thing that is known about sammamish is exceptional school districts it's got two lake washington and issaquah so they can kind of buy and compete for who's the best school district and i gotta tell you if you lived in the north end you felt lake washington was the best if you lived in the south end you felt like issaquah school district was the best i don't know kids up there all turned out pretty good but um definitely um if you have kids who are involved in sports there's a um, active student sport uh community up there um, it's really quick access to Lake Sammamish, uh, where you can go boating, water skiing, wakeboarding, um, all of that good stuff in the summertime. And uh, in the wintertime, it's about a 30-minute drive up to Snoqualmie Pass, so it's a great location. Those are just a few of the many phenomenal neighborhoods that make up the Seattle's east side. Um, if you would like to know more about the east side, I would love to help you. Um, I am the managing broker of the east side real estate team, where our niche is to focus on helping buyers and sellers on the east side. I'd love an opportunity to help you. You can reach us at, um, well, you reach me at 425-276-7008. That's 425-276-7008.
All right, that's our Real Talk segment. Next up after this uh, short commercial break, we're going to um, welcome Tucker Maxwell back. We're going to talk about skills and tips and techniques on how to win in a competitive market because that's what we're in right now. So come back after this short break. The pest stops here. Green City Pest Control is your full service pest solution for all your pest control needs. With an owner with 32 years experience, a board certified entomologist and rodent specialist, we do it all. Bats to rats, crawl space or attic. Call us and we will resolve your problem. 425-413-9700. Oh, wow, that's weird. I did not mean to hit that banner. Hold on a second. How do I pull that off? Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was weird. What, what was that untitled design? Okay, did not mean to do that. Forgive me. All right, this is a live show, so anything can happen. Uh, welcome back to the show. We are going to talk with our good friend Tucker Maxwell about winning an offer on the east side. So, um, let's talk, Tucker. Um, how competitive is our current market? It's hot. It's it's definitely back. Um, you know, for a well-priced home, it's fetching multiple offers over list price, and buyers are having to do whatever they can to look outstanding for so that the sellers accept their offer. Um, so, what are the so right now? I mean, this is kind of like um, from a standpoint of a lender. What are the characteristics of a winner winning offer? Yep. So um, great question, Dan. There, we, we see the winning offers, right? Because so, that's the loans that we get are the ones that uh, actually get accepted by the sellers. And I would say a majority of our offers that we are having accepted right now have escalations or aggressive price points. So for the most part, they're over the listed price. So that's characteristic number one is no real deals to be had in the marketplace right now. Whatever the list price is, the winning offers are typically at or above that price. So that's number one. And then two, it's as few contingencies as possible. So there's you know four or five different buyer contingencies that protect them throughout the escrow closing period. So as few contingencies as possible. And then the final thing is the speed. How quickly can we deliver those proceeds to the seller? Oh, I think that's an interesting point. So um, in the mind of a seller, anybody that has any kind of contingency, or excuse me, financing, it's a concern, like how, how confident can we be that this lender can deliver, whether it's a three-week close or a two-week close? How do you as a lender provide sellers, um, that's what I'm looking for, comfort that they can, they can take that to the bank, so to speak? Yeah, one, it's a tra the track record, right? So working for an organization that has a great track record and when a seller's looking at pre-approval letters that or offers and they're looking at this one's financed by this company, this one's going to be financed by this company, the track record of that mortgage company is huge. They want to know and have had past experiences knowing that mortgage company does what they say they're going to do and they're going to close on time. So talk to me about your track record because... Um, you can tell me the track record's important, but tell me about your track record. Yeah. Um, so one, what we do is to really make sure that we close every deal on time is before we even send them out with you to view homes, we're fully underwriting that application. And that's a, a critical step is I want to make sure these buyers are as solid as possible. Mine, I can't 
prevent them from getting laid off. That's like the one possibility that I can't really control, but we're going to do everything we can up front to vet them as potential buyers and check every box, collect every document that we need to say, yes, Dan Edwards as a person is qualified to buy a home. And we've already done all the legwork on him as a buyer. Once you accept our offer, we need a title report that says the sellers are who they say they are and there's no liens that need to be cleaned up. So a clean title report and an appraisal and we're good to go. There's no vetting the buyer and saying, hey, is, is Dan actually employed? Does he actually earn income? Um, we're doing that all up front. So we're not having to check that off once we're making offers. And, you know, I, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here, but, you know, there's been times when I've been out with a buyer who, um, for whatever reason, didn't go through that process. And, and, you know, as much as I can compel and talk about the importance of doing it, um, have, have you not, have you had any buyers lose out on deals because they decided not to go that fully underwritten process? Absolutely. I think fortunately for us on the lending side is you all are so great at saying, Hey, we're in a competitive market. And as a, a an agent that has represented sellers before, we're going to call the the lender. We're going to make sure that person's been through underwriting. And I'm telling you, it's going to make a difference. Typically, because you're having that conversation on your side of the table, we get teed up perfectly so that they know it's it's something that they need to do. But the second piece is they don't take us serious. They find a home they really love. And then they realize that they can't compete against all these other offers because they haven't done their homework to get underwritten. They can't waive contingencies. They aren't sure about how to handle a low appraisal if that happens. And so they find the home they love. They try to make an offer. They don't win. And because that happens, then they know we better get it fully underwritten and pre-approved so we don't miss out on the next home. All right. So let's talk about this, these contingencies. So we can talk about the inspection contingency and all that stuff. But because we're talking to uh, Tucker here, I want to kind of stay on the ones that directly relate to financing. So the first one is a financing contingency. Then we have the appraisal contingency and then we have the home sale contingency. Now, the first two kind of stick together because they're a part of a uh, an addendum that we put on our listings called the 22A it's financing contingency. So when is it safe for a buyer to remove that from their contract? Yep. So once they know that they've been fully underwritten and that they, they have confidence from the lender that they've done everything they can possibly do to ensure that they're financeable. So a, a, a telltale sign, have you submitted an application? Have you filled out a questionnaire, told us who you are, where you live, where you work? Step one. Two, have I let that lender pull credit? I've done a hard inquiry into my credit and they know exactly what we're dealing with from a credit score and a liability standpoint. And then third, what I always tell people is if you didn't submit documents, you probably shouldn't waive financing yet because they haven't fully vetted you. But if you do all three of those things, you sign some upfront disclosure package that says, yes, lender, you can check into my social security number. You can vet my tax returns. You can reach out to my employer to verify employment and income. Once you know those things are done, then you should have the confidence to know that your financing is secure. The final step is working with a lender that's going to guarantee that approval. So for instance, us at Guild Mortgage, we say, hey, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And Dan, if you extend earnest money to the sellers, we're going to guarantee a portion of that. And so I can't tell you exactly how much to do for earnest money, but I can tell you that up to a certain dollar amount, Guild's going to stand by. And if I messed up for whatever reason in underwriting, 
we're going to reimburse you for that lost earnest money and lost moving costs, like hiring a U-Haul truck, inspection fees, things like that, to give you the confidence that says, yes, we've done our homework and we're willing to pony up some money if we made a mistake. Yeah, Tucker, I think it's important to note that, you know, from a standpoint, buyers are very wary to waive a financing contingency because it's such a nuclear option. Having a lender that backs you uh, with your, you know, pre underwritten saying, no, we back you uh, and we will um, cover some of your earnest money. That's a big deal. And it does give that buyer more power to compete against others. Um, uh, appraisal contingency. Um, now that would probably let for, for example, if you did waive the financing contingency, that's also waiving the appraisal contingency, but you can actually do that without it. Why would somebody then also waive the appraisal contingency? Yeah, so the, the appraisal contingency helps protect a buyer should the appraisal come in less than what they're under contract to buy the home at. So if we're really aggressively trying to buy this home and we're offering a price above the listed price, and the appraisal comes in lower than where the sellers have accepted our offer at, we as the buyers potentially have to cover that gap because as a lender, we're going to lend to the buyer based on the appraised value, not their willingness to pay. And so it pot potentially creates a situation where you have a gap between contract price and appraised value. And so this appraisal contingency tells the seller, how do we plan to handle that gap? And there's a few ways that we can handle that gap and we need to do the homework up front to determine what are what are our capabilities the kind of the the most competitive way to do it is to wave it all together and say whatever that gap is i'll pay for it so if it's a hundred thousand dollar difference i'm on the hook for that hundred thousand dollar difference regardless the other way that you can potentially include an appraisal contingency, but still be pretty competitive is say, I'm going to put a dollar amount on that risk. And I'm going to say, I'm willing to cover the gap, but only up to a certain dollar amount. And whatever that dollar amount is, I'm going to put it on paper and say, Hey, sellers, I'm willing to cover a low appraisal to the extent of $40,000 or $50,000. But if it's bigger than that gap, we're rene renegotiating. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, and this is the importance of working with a lender that understands this. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly because I can have more confidence in negotiating hard for my buyer if if we have the confidence in the lender that uh, like here's the here's the big difference. If you're putting three percent down versus 20 plus percent down, it's a difference in how your strategy is. If you're putting 3% down, it means your debt to income ratios may get out of whack if you actually have to come in with more or can't finance as much. But if you're putting 25 to 30 to 40% down, waiving an appraisal contingency is no big deal. I always say that, but however, somebody's going to call me on and say, well, that seems like it's very dangerous. It depends. Do you plan on living in the house for five years? Because even if the house doesn't appraise it where your contract price is, that pending going to close sales now becomes the benchmark in that neighborhood. A year later, you're going everybody's going to sit there and say, oh, we're appreciating now at this rate. So the value will catch up between two to five years. OK, so that I think um, the appraisal contingency concerns me less. And then when you back it with the, fi the finance contingency as a whole, the last one is a home sale contingency. And I think that's confidence in the fact that your home is closing. There aren't many, um, there aren't many um, loans that are um, not contingent 
on the proceeds of a sale of a house. So we have to have a home sale contingency, but you're saying you have a program that, that allows us to waive that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So again, going back to our competitive market, if there's cash offers on the table or these really strong buyers with 30% down um, and our, pro, our, our down payment funds are coming from the sale of that home, that may deter a seller from accepting our offer. They may say, hey, is your home ready to be sold? How long is that going to take? Uh, maybe we don't want to take that offer. So talking to a lender about, are there any solutions that allow me to buy today? One, one move, so I'm not in temporary housing in between homes and then sell my home after the fact without that contingency. And there's a couple of solutions out there from the lending side, and one is a bridge loan. So can we tap into that equity that you're potentially gonna receive by selling it, give you those proceeds today to go and buy, move into the new home, sell later, and then pay off that bridge loan? So that's one solution that allows a buyer, if they can qualify for that, that allows them to remove the home sale contingency, they have their, their equity now to buy. That That's kind of option one. And then the other one is, you know, looking at the ability to recast. We talked, you mentioned 20, 30, 40% down. Well, that buyer may potentially still qualify with 5% down or 10% down that they have liquid and available. So buy now with less down, then sell, and then use those proceeds to then lower your loan amount later, resulting in a lower monthly payment without the need to refinance through a recast pro process. And now you get the loan with no private mortgage insurance at the monthly payment you intended on, but again, we've removed that home sale contingency. You've bought before you've sold, and now you're you're into your new home with one easy move versus moving twice. Gotcha. That's awesome. Well, okay. So if somebody is fully underwritten and it's all good to go and all that good stuff, um, how fast can uh, Guild Mortgage uh, close on a loan for our clients? Yep. So um, Dan, it's it's funny that you asked that question today. Um, a majority of our contracts that we got this week are 15 days, 14 days, like a lot of them, June, June 7th, June 9th right now. And it's, it's May 24th with a holiday weekend in there. So that's, that's really cooking. Legally speaking, you can close a home loan in seven days. So there's some mandatory wait periods. You can close a home loan that quickly with the three day wait period after the borrower signs the closing disclosure, waiting three days to sign their final loan documents and then funding the same day. Um, so legally you can close it that fast, but we have to be mindful of the appraisal. Um, but right now we're, we're basically guaranteeing that we'll close within 17 days. And most of those contracts include honor before language. And we are trying to close them as quickly as possible so that that seller knows we did everything we can to get them their proceeds as quickly as we said we were going to. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tucker. Um, we're going to have another segment after this short commercial break. We're going to talk about Memorial Day and what, what are some of uh, folks' traditions on Memorial Day. So come back right after this short commercial break. It's about time. Do you find you never have enough time for what matters most to you? Our comprehensive It's About Time virtual productivity program teaches you the secrets of long-term, sustainable, and life-changing productivity. We provide monthly webinars, implementation challenges, resources, community, and accountability. You'll learn tips, techniques, and strategies to help you more effectively and efficiently manage your email, tasks, time, workspace, priorities, projects, and resources. You'll 
you'll implement organized systems and productive habits that work. You'll finally get better results at work, experience less stress, have more time to dote on your clients, time to spend with your family and friends, take better care of yourself, pursue hobbies, and get more out of life. Do you crave more time for what matters most? Are you ready to take control? Isn't it about time? Well, to start having more time for what matters most to you, call us at 206-579-5743 or visit our website for more information at www.itssimplyplaced.com. Again, that's 206-579-5743 or visit our website, www.itssimplyplaced.com. Join today because really, it's about time. Your time. Because I don't know why. Uh, join today. I don't know what's going on with our video feed, but sorry about that. Um, so this weekend, we recognize Memorial Day. Um, that is a holiday that we recognize those who fought and died for the freedom that we enjoy. And, um, you know, my wife's, uh, both of her grandparents were um, belly gunners on, uh, uh, what are they called? The B B-27 bombers. Both of them were shot down over Germany. One of them spent eight, 18 months in several POW camps and was uh, finally liberated by the Russians. Um, I had the just a tremendous opportunity to know this man. And I have to say, um, what an amazing person of character. He was a very successful Purdy paintbrush salesman, so successful that he bought land in Tahoe and built a house there. So it to me, that was an inspiration to my kids. He's an inspiration. Uh, he has, of course, passed away maybe five or six years ago. Not of course, but he's definitely getting up there in age. Um, and we were just like so thankful for people like that. Um, David, who's on our team, he was uh, in, in the uh, in the Navy. I want to say for five or eight years, something like that. I can't remember. But I mean, what, what are your thoughts on Memorial Day, Tucker? Yeah, uh, same. My grandpa was in the, the military. He was Army Air Corps. So before the Air Force was around, uh, was stationed up in Alaska and built the first um, airstrip up there. So same Memorial Day is always, you know, thanking those people that have fought and given their life for our country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in memoriam, I do CrossFit. So they're always doing Murphy uh, this weekend. And I think it's 100, 100 push-ups, uh, 200 pull-ups and 300 bodyweight squats with a vest on. And it's a mile buy-in, mile by, mile in, mile out. I don't do it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I have not been in shape enough. It will probably take me eight hours at this point to do something like that. Um, but that's one of the traditions that we have uh, this year. I am excited. I'm going to the Indianapolis 500. They always have a great, um, you know, they have a great parade of the veterans come by prior to the race. They have a killer flyover. So watch my uh, social media for some great video from that. What are you doing, Tucker? Yeah, you know, Dan, we usually do something. Uh, it's the unofficial start to summer in the Northwest. So, you know, weekend warrior activities start to begin. Um, we usually go on a big rafting trip because this time of year is when the snow melt starts and the big white water starts to really rush through the rivers. Um, unfortunately, my wife has a, a broken leg right now, so uh, not cut out for- Okay, just leave her behind. No big deal. Exactly. I told her we could just strap her into the raft. Yeah, right. Strap her in. As long as we don't flip. Um, so, no, I'm going to actually just enjoy the weekend and plan to uh, check out the Issaquah Alps on my mountain bike like you talked about. There you go. Well, I just, again, Tucker, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate your input on this show every week. Um, thanks to the, out there watching it. If you are all thinking about moving or relocating, 
to the east side, whether it's from Seattle or from around the country and around the world, we'd love an opportunity to sit down with you. Give us a call, 425-276-7008, 425-276-7008. Thanks and have a wonderful uh, Memorial Day weekend. Thanks, Dan.